Are God's desires something that, that can go unfulfilled? Is God's plan for mankind dependent upon man's willingness to line up with that plan? Is it really possible that our freedom of choice could actually frustrate God's desire? What do you think? What is God's desire? I was raised a Catholic from the time I was born. I was baptized as a baby, had my first communion when I was six, became an altar boy when I was seven. I attended Catholic school for uh, all 12 years of my pre-college education. During my senior year of high school, I became more spiritually aware than I had ever been before up to that point. I started attending Wednesday night novenas, which was a special time of prayer and petition, uh, making petitions before God, but through uh, Mary, through the, what, they, what we term the Blessed Virgin Mary. <clears throat> I served at Mass almost every day uh, during my high school years. The priest was Father LeCary, and uh, he could say the whole Mass in under 15 minutes. I mean, it was, it was a race for me to get through just the confidior, because we were still doing Latin back then. <clears throat> but he was in a hurry. When I joined the Navy the summer of my graduation, I was essentially done with religion. But then one Wednesday night uh, in downtown Norfolk, Virginia, I allowed one of the street evangelists who always stood outside the, the YMCA where we would gather, I allowed one of those street evangelists to talk to me. Uh, he gave me his, his business card and said if I ever wanted to talk, to give him a call. I did eventually call him, and he invited me out to his house. And then he showed me the passage from 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, which says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, men, the man Christ Jesus. Now, I was not at a place at that time where the Bible meant anything to me at all. But there was something about those words that began to do a work in me. It eventually brought me into the things of God. As a Catholic, I knew that Mary was the mediator of all graces because I carried a holy card, a picture holy card in my pocket that said, Mary, the Mediatrix of all graces. But this thought from Timothy worked its magic in my mind. I began to realize that the Pope was not a mediator. The priest was not a mediator. The nuns were not a mediator. Mary was not a mediator. The saints were not mediators. No one stood between me and the Lord. I did not have to ask any one of those to pray for me because I could go straight to God on my own behalf. That's that's an awareness for a Catholic. But it's also true for each and every one of us. There is only one mediator between God and you, and that is Jesus. That also means that no one's prayers are any better than yours. 
I get requests all the time to pray for folks, and I don't mind doing so. But often now, those requests are preceded by, since you are a pastor, would you pray? My being a pastor has absolutely nothing to do with the quality of prayer that God listens to. Nothing. Now, under the old covenant, it was different. The Israelites were met with a mediator called the priests or the high priest. But Jesus changed all of that. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, we read, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now that last verse, that verse there, verse 16, is written for all of us. We can, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace when we have a need. Now, excuse me, this verse in Timothy about the mediation of Jesus is linked to a very important concept which is presented in our scripture lesson this morning. Jesus as mediator is linked to the truth that we are all supposed to come to know. In 1 Timothy 2.4, it says, talking about God, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, this was right there, you know, we read the lesson, verse 4 and then verse 5 says there's one mediator. This one says that God desires all people to be saved. And this is one of those verses which causes people to argue over God's plan for man. But before I get to that, let's realize that this, this verse is one of those parallelisms that I've told you often about, okay? And, and I've tried to point out to you as they occur, this is one of them. This verse is not saying that there are two different desires that God has. It's one. Coming to the knowledge of the truth is Paul simply explaining what he meant by saved in this passage. He desires all people to be saved, that is, coming to the knowledge of the truth. Now we see this truth presented in the Lord's Prayer in John chapter 17. Jesus said, prayed, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life, that which we know is a result of being saved, is to know the true God and Jesus. We are to know the truth, which is what Jesus said would make us free. In John chapter 8 and verse 32, he says, You shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now back to the verse in Timothy, we read that God desires all people to come to the knowledge of the truth. Or to be saved. The controversy that I mentioned swirls around the English word desires. God desires all men to be saved. And that's where the arguments occur. Some emphasize 
the fact that it is only God's desire, not his will, that all be saved. Of course, you can make that argument from what we see around us in that it does not appear that some folks ever make that decision for Christ. This is not the place to go into that uh, right now, but for the sake of argument, let's consider another aspect. To say that God only desires something, but he might not have his desires met because man has to make a decision first, puts God's desires and power beneath that of man whom he created. Man is then elevated to the position of power based solely on his freedom of choice. However, let's remember what I've told you often about translation being an interpretation. This is a plain example of how that can affect our understanding. The Greek word that is translated desires here is used 210 times in the New Testament. It is only translated desire or desirous 16 times out of those 210 because it is the word for will and that is translated 177 times as will. Even with that information though, we are still left with the possibility of God's will not being met according to our thinking of man's choice being superior to God's choice. And as I say that, it re I'm reminded of the verse in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, where we are to prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And the Western mind has taken that and made it three levels of God's will, which is not the case at all. It is God's will is good. It's acceptable. Okay? It is perfect. It's not three separate wills of God. He doesn't have an acceptable will, which is less than his perfect will. Anyway, let's remember, however, that it is simply our natural reasoning entering into the argument, and there's not any specific passage that I've ever been able to find or any thought of Scripture that talks about man's free will being greater than God's will or power. All the arguments about man's free will or his freedom of choice, in my experience, are based on human logic and not on any passage from the Bible. Now, with that consideration, let us consider what Paul has to say as he further elucidates God's plan for man in our passage. Verse 6 goes on to say that he gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all. Now in this verse, it is obvious that the word all is not defined. It could be all Jews. It could be all people who accept him. It could be all anything. However, since it is in the passage and sentence with which we are working, it would make more sense to me or seem more appropriate to make it the same all 
as the one that we just read prior to this, which is all men. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus gave himself as a ransom for that same all. And in that passage, the word men is there in the original. So it just follows. Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all mankind. Basically, we all understand what a ransom is, I think. It's a sum of money or other payment demanded or paid for the release of a prisoner. Now, let's don't take what we're taught in the movies as our example of payment of ransom, because in the movies there's always a double cross. Somebody's lying about the ransom somehow or another. That's not the case here. There is no double cross. The ransom Jesus paid was to release the prisoners, all of them. Now, for those people who are still stuck on their human logic, there is still the argument that, yeah, but they have to want to be free. They have to leave the prison. I've heard that argument. Although there is no scripture to support that concept, I'm at a loss as to how to argue with that kind of stubbornness because it's just not there. To say that Jesus' death only made salvation possible presents the ridiculous scenario that maybe his death was completely ineffectual if no one ever chose it. And that's where we'd be with that. We can see the answer to this in another section of Paul's writings to Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Jesus is the Savior of all. But those who believe get to enjoy the benefits of that salvation as a result of their belief. And yes, not everyone believes today or tomorrow or yesterday. And many of them won't believe anytime soon. But we cannot say that they will never believe because we just don't know that for certain. We, can say, we cannot say they'll never believe. Now Paul ends this section of his writing to Timothy with a statement that we should consider. After saying that Jesus was given as a ransom for all, Paul writes, For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. He claims that he was appointed to preach this truth to the Gentiles. Now he makes this thought very clear in his letter to the Corinthians, where he says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Okay, he's saying plainly, that's what God has given us. And then, his very next verse, he explains what the ministry of reconciliation consists of. In verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Through Christ, God reconciled the world to himself. Now that reconciliation means that there is no more enmity between God and man. No more fear of retribution for having screwed up in this life. In fact, there's the plain statement that God does not count our trespasses against us. 
So yes, God does indeed have a desire that all people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth which is in Jesus. But that desire is not just wishful thinking. It is his will. It is the result of his plan that he purposed from the beginning before the foundation of the world, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You were known, loved, and chosen before the foundation of the world. There are others also for whom this is true, whether they recognize it or not. You know, there are, there are still people who believe the earth is flat. Okay? Their belief does not change the truth, but it's their belief. So what? So what are we to do with this? What, 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 are, what is all this information about? We are to recognize that contrary to popular opinion and the doctrine we've been grown up with, that God is not mad at you. God's not mad at us. He's not mad at the human race. He's not mad at you or anyone else. That other concept that God's going to get you for that was preached and proclaimed and lived out by Christians for centuries. It's now time for that to change. You've been given which is to share the truth with people that God is not mad at them. Because the sin debt has been canceled in Christ Jesus. This means that we need to let go of our judgment of others for the way that they live. They live that way because they do not know that they have been reconciled to God. You've been called to relate the truth of God's love to them, to everyone. So let us go from here this week and love somebody. Go share the love of God with someone. Amen.